In this episode, I speak with the wonderful Dr. Frank Yoffino. Frank's research interests are in youth mental health and early intervention, with a specific focus on how digital health can change the way services access, manage, and treat youth mental health challenges. Frank is head of the Digital Mental Health Research Program for the Youth and Mental Health Technology team at the Brain and Mind Centre, which specifically focuses on building sophisticated digital technologies through co-design with young people that permit a young person, their family and their carers to be at the centre of clinical care and equal partnerships with clinicians in key treatment decisions. We geek out on the advances in technology and how these can help us manage our mental wellness and better inform the care we receive or provide. This episode is sponsored by the University of Sydney's Brain and Mind Centre. Thank you so much for joining me, Frank. It is so wonderful to have you on the podcast and to have you on the podcast talking about what we're, we're going to talk about today. Before we dive in, would you be able to just explain to everyone listening who you are, what you do, and what your key focus of research is? Sure. Thanks for having me, Sam. So my name's Frank Iofino. I'm a senior research fellow at the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. And my work focuses on driving digital innovations in youth mental health care to improve the health and well-being outcomes of people. And so this work really focuses on a few sort of key areas, one being how can we use technologies better to understand the course of illness and health and those trajectories in young people, but also looking at how we can leverage technologies to improve the way services and people use technology to improve their well-being, help them understand their mental health, and, and so how to leverage technology in that way to improve outcomes. And so that kind of works, that kind of work focuses on developing the technologies themselves and designing them so that they're personalized and they're user-friendly and this type of thing, but then also working with clinicians and services and young people to determine how they can be used effectively in care. And so focusing on a lot of the implementation challenges which go along with developing technologies. I, and you know this from like casual conversations and, and all sorts of things, I, and you are as well, a total geek when it comes to what we can do, how we can do it, how we can better it. And when it comes down to like tracking and wearables and all those sorts of things, and even, you know, what we can do on our phone or what our phones track, which for some people is like a really nerve wracking thing about like, is Big Brother watching, et cetera. For me, I'm just kind of like, well, enjoy the show. It's a shit show, but like, enjoy it. I'm just, what's that mean? Life is what it is and I'm just in charge of the the outfits. That's very much the vibes that I give off when it comes to data tracking. But to sort of somewhat start at the beginning, why is data tracking integral as we are sort of moving around our world now and in the different ways that we are moving around when it comes to healthcare and I guess particularly healthcare among young people? Sure. So I think there's a few different things to talk about here. One is that 
unfortunately, the capacity of existing health services out there it, it are quite limited. And in fact, it probably they probably won't ever be able to reach the necessary capacity to treat mental illness and, and give people effective care. So we're in a fortunate position, though, where, you know, the, the rise and use of all these great tools, as you sort of said, that we geek out about, provide us with the opportunity to leverage some of these capabilities to provide healthcare uh, at a greater scale. And so, you know, you ask then why is tracking effective for mental health? Well, you know, there's a, there are a range of reasons. And one is has a lot to do with self or increasing self-awareness and, and tracking helps individuals understand the, their emotions, their behaviors, and the relationship between these types of behaviors that we engage in over time. So things like sleep and physical activity and mood and, and what is the relationship between these things over time can help drive actionable sort of insights based on these patterns over time and what it means for you. And so that can be quite empowering. We talk a lot about empowerment in our work and using technology and information to drive informed decisions. And so a lot of our work also focuses on leveraging artificial intelligence and machine learning to provide that level of personalized insights into yeah, what might be going on for someone. And so I think, like as you mentioned, you know, there, there's so many different tools that we have and mental health is not a sort of static thing, right? It changes. It's, it goes... For anyone as well. Of course, everyone, yeah. And, and so having something that is there to try and track and follow you over a long period of time to understand these sort of dynamic changes uh, can be really useful to provide you with the types of information you need for things like early intervention, right? Like can you start to notice when something's going down the wrong track earlier so you can do something about it? you know, these types of things. I think one of the core things that you were just saying and mentioning is the sort of the history and the, I guess, the the way in which things happen in ebbs and flows. And one of the big sort of influences of that is not just the, the body mental health, the body-based mental health, like internal, but the external, the environments that we're in. And, and for young people, that could be exam periods, that could be heavy assessment periods, that could be a new school, that could be social media use or overuse, that could be bullying, that could be all sorts of home life, work. I mean, uh, the list really goes on. And I think, well, I know one of the big points when it comes to lived experience advocation around your own healthcare is that notion, I know you've heard it, telling your story once. And I think one of the brilliant things that using digital health technologies or smart technologies is like you were saying, is being able to look at the whole picture and look at, okay, like two weeks ago, I wasn't sleeping right. My heart rate was elevated, you know, proposing that you're using something like an Apple watch. My heart rate was elevated. I wasn't logging any foods or things like that. And my screen time was so much higher. And you're able to then sort of think, what was happening two weeks ago? And two weeks ago could have been, I went through a breakup. And therefore that sort of enables me to sort of have that retrospective of like, okay, no, it's okay. I'm not sort of downward spiraling in myself, but I've gone under these really pressurized situations and, and the context of that, that, that technology is now able to play. I guess what it, when it comes to 
sort of technology. What are you specifically referring to in your research? Or I know you said that it's not just about utilizing technology or pathways of technology, but also creating those pathways and those sort of tech vibes. With your research, what do you sort of, I guess, work with and where's your main focus in that sense? So actually, one thing I want to talk about first, you touched on, you know, this idea about being an unreliable narrator. And this came up in one of our lived experience work workshops that we ran where a young person identified that. And that really resonated with me because exactly what you just said about, you know, using technology like, you know, one of the technologies I'm talking about is just simply, you know, some type of app or even a web-based tool that can, you know, allow you to complete questionnaires or enter data you know, in real time about how you're going, your context, your mood, any other kind of key behaviours. That's kind of the very basic sort of level of technology that we're, we're dealing with here. But even that can be quite effective for what you mentioned, which is, you know, what, what was that thing two weeks ago that was affecting me? And, and I mean, in, you know, for those that are going through mental health care, you know, you have these sort of sometimes spaced out you know, these gaps between sessions. And I mean, you have to, you're having to try and condense maybe, I don't know, like a week or two weeks or a month or even three months worth of, you know, how you, how have you been going and what were the things going on for you? I'm like, okay, okay, I'll try and summarize, you know, the last month of my, you know, ups and downs. So technology gives you, you know, and when we, again, when I'm talking about technology, I'm talking about, you know, it could be an app that's collecting self-report information. It could be, a wearable device, which is tracking activity or sleep or, you know, some of them ask ask mood and and things like heart rate and and these types of indicators. So things are escalating too, you know, there's things like that can track light, you know, some of our work is tracking, you know, the level of light exposure via a pin and these types of things. So really cool advancements are being made in this area. And I think it, it all comes back down to what you were saying, you know, this idea that Sometimes we can be unreliable narrators, either on purpose sometimes or just because. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guilty. Yeah. <laughs> or because, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to remember and it's hard to try to summarize these things. And so having some type of log and history of this stuff can be really helpful, not only for communication, right? So it helps you with communicating. Oh yeah, that's, that's how I was feeling. And that week I, I wasn't sleeping well. The, sure. That helps with communication, but also I'm, and this is the part of my research I'm really interested in is the learning aspect, right? Like how do we use things like machine learning to understand your specific patterns? So, and, and over time, you know, you, a, a machine is, or, you know, technology is being used to understand more about you. And then, you know, the goal here is to then personalize strategies, recommendations, and help provide really in-depth specific insights about you. And so it's not just based on the average from some trial or from some sort of, you know, guidelines. It's about a group of people. It's based on on you and what what is going on for you. And to do that, we, we need to be leveraging as, as many different data points you know, as we can, right, about our own health, our own lives and our own um, situations. And so my work is trying to focus on how we can do that, you know, using so wearable devices, apps, but even like, you know, when you do go to a clinic and you and you, you have and someone, you know, you, you see someone in person, you know, if there's information collected there, you know, that information should also be 
pulled in some way to then complete the picture of you over time. And, and, you know, if you can think about this in the, in the future, if you do this over years and years and years, you know, you're just building a richer picture of yourself and all the things that can influence your emotional health and well-being. It's so true. And I think I'm really glad you sort of highlighted that point. I often brush over things because I just, I'm used to them sort of just being a part of the, the daily conversations that I have with people and, and, and in working groups and, and all sorts of things. And so I think absolutely that reliable, unreliable narrator, which again, sort of impacts your own positive or negative view of self. Like, oh, I can't even remember. That's so bad of me. Like, or like, I'm going to hide this from my clinician, which I've been guilty of because I'm embarrassed by it or whatever. And I think that being able to have the objective from a data perspective, sort of narrative that we're able to to look at and and like you said like going forward years and years and years of this hopefully logged so that we can actually see the fact that well-being or wellness is not linear that we will have pits and we will have falls but we'll have successes and we'll have really surprising moments that that are life-changing I had so many questions like firing off when you were talking then. I want to know from your perspective and from like research, but also your perspective as a person, when it comes to how we can sort of triangulate our health and our healthcare specifically and the interventions and the treatments that we can implement with by ourselves or, or with our clinicians, what is your personal view or your 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 research clinical view on the best way to go forward with that is, you know, obviously we have moments where we are a lot more switched on or, or our reliability from logging things and focusing on things and, and tracking things, like even just wearing a trackable or, or being on your phone where, yeah, we're more strict at sometimes and more reliable sometimes as opposed to others. And then, of course, there's things like my health record in Australia, which helps from sort of a referral blood test result sort of situation. But to sort of round the question up, what in your perspective is a really key and, and somewhat easy way or implementable way that we could go away from today and be like, okay, I'm going to do this one thing for myself so that my health care can be far more intuitive to me? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. And I think it is a very new area in that, you know, we're still learning so much about what actually works in this space. So, you know, and, and as you sort of touched on, I mean, I, and I think you're the same, Sam, you know, like I'm one of the, those geeks that does track things. I try and track as many things about my own health and well-being, and, or, but even I like, I disengage sometimes and I can't be bothered. I'll lose motivation and this type of thing. And I think, what that and this is a big problem in the area of men, digital mental health as well. People are really trying to answer this question about how do you maintain engagement and how how can you increase people's utility of these things. And I, so I don't think there's an easy answer, but I think the answer is, is there's some there's an element to it where we just need to recognise that people are going to ebb and flow in their use of specific devices. Um, particularly when it requires some type of active input, right? Like if it's asking me to enter my mood and this type of thing regularly, I think, you know, we can't expect that that's going to maintain with high engagement for a really long time, which is why we're trying to move towards passive, you know, 
things that you don't need to collect. You know, I like the heart rate stuff on my Apple Watch because so you know, good, yeah, right? Like because you can see, you know, I can see when with my physical health at least, you know, when I'm periods where I'm, you know, being more active, I can see the physiological changes in things like resting heart rate or VO2 max measures and things like this. And so, you know, you asked about one of the actual insights, you know, I, I would, I, I am for like tracking those types of things using a, some type of wearable device and just seeing how that can influence your behavior, either positively or negative. This won't be for everyone. And so some people may respond really poorly to tracking things regularly. And we just need to recognize that. And for those people, you know, something much more laid back, potentially, you know, I think it still is important to, to be, you know, in therapy or even out of therapy see you know reflecting on how you're going is quite important i think for everyone but the means by which you do that i think is a bit of a it's a personalized situation so but if you yeah so start tracking whether it's you know active or passive or both and just seeing even for your mental health but physical health as well like you know what types of insights do you start to learn about yourself and and see how that might influence your behavior i think that can be just a really easy way to start and i know these devices can be expensive some of them there are quite a range of of devices available that you can choose from but yeah see how they influence so because you know as i mentioned you know i noticed periods of active and not active and the key thing is is there's people will talk about the accuracy of some of the measures like heart rate and vo2 max and that yeah, that's that's that is an issue, and that's an area that people are you know definitely looking into. And I have no doubt that one, the accuracy will get better on the more you know mass market sort of devices. But the second key point is that it's really about your own individual patterns over time. So recognizing for you what has changed, right? Like if I establish my a baseline for myself about okay. This is my typical level of, you know, whatever it is, steps, or this is my typical resting heart rate at, you know, at the moment. And then changes from that particular baseline is where you derive insights and where you derive a better understanding of, of what is going on for you and, and how certain behaviors are impacting on various aspects of your physical or mental health. So, it really is about your own individual change over time. I think that is the really critical part. And that's the bit that we focus on in our research as well. So in our clinical work that we do where we're using self-report information collected by a web-based technology, you know, people are entering self-report information about their mental health and sort of really key key information, things about even things about suicide ideation and functioning and all these other key measures. And there we're doing the same thing. We're trying to say, okay, for people that are tracking these things regularly, can we start to learn specific individual patterns over time for each of these types of measures, whether it's mental health or even ideation or even functioning, you know, do people follow a specific trajectory, whether it might be stable or more you know, up and down, more volatile, you know, these types of insights can provide a lot of information for yourself, but then in a clinical context, they can provide a lot of information for a mental health professional, you know, a really actionable insight that we're deriving from our work is how long, how frequently does a person need to be monitored or how, how frequently should we be following up a person based on, as I mentioned, whether that things are looking quite stable or whether their things are going up and down very frequently, that can really provide some more 
personalized insights about a specific person and and how frequently a person should be checking in. What I'm hearing, and I absolutely subscribe and, you know, will shout from the rooftops, is that education on yourself and being more knowledgeable. And, and I think it's at the moment, and I think it's a term that is being perhaps, I was thinking about it this morning in a meeting, it's a term that I think might be being thrown around too often purely because people are trying to, to really do it is empowerment. And I think that it's the only reason why I think it's been thrown around too often is because the oversaturation of it takes away the power of what the word actually means and what the concept of empowering someone can be. I think it's kind of like the the word awesome, right? Like awesome means this almighty, overwhelming sense of just coolness and yet we're just like oh yeah that's awesome or the word love like oh i love that not like and it's so hard to say i love you and mean it in its its genuine context but i think i'll make an, a personal exception as of like a couple of hours ago uh, <laughs> i <laughs> i think it is actually truly empowering because you are getting to know yourself more you're getting to see like you said creating or understanding a baseline of where you're at right now. And and I guess when you said about the reliability of smart technology and how whether there's a discrepancy between those mass market and those more clinical research-based market ones, of course there's going to be some form of discrepancy and there's going to be because of technology. But if all you're using is that mass market one, at whatever level it might be, it could be at the very low end or the very high end of cost, it's going to be measuring on the same line, right? Like, so it's going to consistently record that baseline. So from that perspective, I guess it's it's kind of nice or, or comforting to know. But I think, yeah, the, un- the understanding and then I guess the understanding for your clinician when you can, because you can export the data from so you and I are both Apple users. And so I, uh, my family have often joked, I should be working as an Apple ambassador. And as you've probably heard in the, the conversations in the last week about some new projects that we're looking at, at the Brain and Mind Center, is that there are so many things where you can, in health, you can just export a PDF of how things have been going for the last month or three months or 12 months that will show those those trends and those, not trajectories, but those trends and those patterns of where you've been at. You mentioned before about tracking like beats per minute and heart rate and all of that. And I remember when we first started talking about doing a podcast episode on, on this, you had just sort of come off grant writing and and a whole series of them and slogs and abstracts and and all of those things. And you could actually, by looking back in that moment, you're able to see that your heart rate was, your resting heart rate was, what was it? It was like something like 10 to 20 beats higher than regular, something that was absurdly obvious. And to even be able to see that, and like we were saying, retrospectively look back and be like, aha, like that was that period of time. But I'm able to see that I have come down from that or that due to the environmental changes, I've reached the the baseline more than just the peak or the trough. Yeah. Well, and I just want to touch on something you mentioned, you know, about the overuse of the term, the empowerment, which I, 
I'm kind of feeling that way as well, even though we have a yeah. we have a clinical trial going at the moment that's called the Empowered Trial, which which is aptly called the Empowerment Trial. The, the term there, the, the term there is important, and I think it touches on one of the things which avoids the overuse of the term, which is empowerment. I think it's only relevant, or not only relevant, but it's particularly relevant when there's action that follows from the tracking of the information, right? So in the Empower trial, we're using digitally supported tools, like digitally digital tools to support personalised and measurement-based care. And so the idea there is about using these tracking tools, using information over time to inform decision-making in youth mental health services. And so the empowerment bit comes when you actually use that information to do something about about your behaviour or about your mental health or something. So I agree that the term is quite overused and people mention it all the time, but I think you've got to complete it. You've got to use that information in some way or for it to truly be empowering, I suppose. Um, yeah, it's it's an action word, right? Like it's like John Mayer's love is a verb, I guess to quote it exactly, like a specific love is a verb is a doing word or I can't remember yeah. the quote now. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that I was going to quote it directly. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that, you know, love is shown in the actions that you do toward the person or the thing that you love as opposed to just saying I love you, like words can be trite and in that same vein, it's the empowerment actually comes through the actioning of knowledge or the actioning of an environment or a situation or a culture as opposed to just the acknowledgement. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, a really important distinguishing moment. And you brought up the grand example, which I remember speaking about with you, and it, it was quite literally you could see that period of time a few weeks, my resting heart rate was definitely higher than it should be and it usually is. And I mean, that's just a clear indicator that something, you know, I was obviously stressed and things were going on at that time. And, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, can I do something differently in the future? You know, maybe knowing now how that affects me, you know, prepares me in the future for, okay, I know this time is going to be stressful. You know, what can I do to mitigate that in some way or, you know, maybe it helps me plan in the future. But yeah, hoops, it gets to be seen. I'll wait till the next grant period comes up before I. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. yeah see how that, uh, I won't hold you accountable just yet. <laughs> we'll do a trial period. Yeah, that sounds good. It actually is so true from the perspective of like, okay, maybe I am out of the woods right now, or it's the. the it's too thick at the moment to actually put anything into practice. And so it's more of a waiting out moment right now. But when I reach the, that point again or a similar period, how do I actually, what can I do? Do I need to increase my mindfulness moments? Do I need to maybe clock off from work an hour early or not take, you know, sign off, uh, sign, uh, sign out of my work emails on my phone or all those sorts of things that could be tiny and and I think passive as well. Like you picked up on that point about active and passive and how can we, and it's all about how can we make life easier, right? Healthcare ultimately is how can we best thrive and not just survive. And, and that's the point that I think we talk, talked about earlier, you know, tech, what technology allows us to do going forward i mean we we are still so in the in the early phases but what it is really going to allow us to do in the future is it makes 
healthcare, as you mentioned, it, it's about thriving over the course of our life. It's not about you know just these discrete periods of time when we see a health professional or we. It's it's it makes healthcare and mental healthcare, but also physical healthcare. You know, a, a thing that we're thinking about in our daily lives, and it can really be something that is much more dynamic as well. So, you know, increase the, we know when we want to increase the level of health engagement with, with professionals because we're going through a particular period, but in periods when things are going better, you know, we can rely on technology to, to sort of help us understand and maintain and track things in those other periods, but it makes it more continuous rather than just simply discrete periods of time, which gives us more control. I think, you know, you know, we have focused a lot on tracking and it's because th- th- that is the focus of a lot of our work is about tracking and help because it is about trying to, how do you track it to control it, right? Like, or try and action, you know, you can't sort of action something or do something about a behavior or something if you're not sort of, you understand it or tracking it. So I think you can't sort of room in the dark. You've got to turn the light <laughs> yeah, that's on. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I think for me personally, I really waver and and experience quite a turbulent time during the season change. And so for me, I'm able to, even just the knowledge that season change is September, October, and then again in May, April, I'm able to think, okay, we're entering this period. This is This is probably what's going to happen or this is why I'm feeling this way. This is why I'm lethargic or I'm wanting to stay in bed for an extra hour. I'm turning up at work an hour later than I have been previously or I'm wanting to clock off earlier or, or things like that or I'm removing myself from social situations. And in the same vein as that, it is, like you said, it's not necessarily about those small brackets of time but how we can better over the, the course of time. And, and it might mean that over the course of like three or four different season changes, I try something different. And then I learn from that, okay, what actually lowered my experience or evened out my experience then or took me through at a, a better pace or, or got me to the end goal quicker or more effectively, which I think is, yeah, is a very necessary thing. As I said before, I am a, a bit of an Apple geek or a, a bit is putting it modestly. I do like the beta. I help out with, I say help out. It's not like I'm anyone special, but I do the beta testing and provide feedback on on anything from the developer side. And I love doing that as much as the frustrations are when something crashes or an app doesn't allow a certain element of something. It, it, that's frustrating, but... One of the things that I've been really loving in the past like two months roughly is the new well-being side that's coming to Apple and not making this an advert either. But the way that we're, like you were saying, being able to track moods and emotions and through just a simple log, like a quick set of questions or something that either is sporadic or, or a regular point, whether it be daily, weekly, fortnightly, whatever, being able to track that and then having that information paired or triangulated alongside with heart rate or sleeping states and, and lengths or how much, like you said, how many steps I've taken today or on average this week and how those things, just like varying colors, can create a, a greater picture and a, a more in-depth version of what we're we're looking at when it comes to health and not just mental health, but physical health as well. And 
and like you're saying, the physiological effects that, you know, something stressful or distressing or depressive can actually have on us. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are really good studies out there now about sort of just-in-time interventions or, you know, things to do with passive data and being able to, as we mentioned, you know, detecting changes before an event occurs, you know, some type of episode or some type of behavior that's, you know, so, and, and there's, there are some interesting studies that have shown that, you know, you can detect things like people becoming less mobile before an episode of, of psychosis or something like this. So, you know, there's the, we're in the early days still now, but, you know, there are sort of examples of this out there where I think that is what we can potentially gain from from leveraging some of these types of tools and integrating them into sort of our daily lives. I guess one of the things that I want to ask before we say goodbye is what are you most excited about on the front, like the frontier or the coming frontiers to everyday users, people from all sorts of levels or walks of life, whether it be so, so low socioeconomic, diverse backgrounds and cultures, white and Caucasian. I'm sort of a smile on my face because that's <laughs> the highest level of privilege. But I guess what what are you excited about or hopeful in the excitement of what's coming or what's what's currently changing and how that can revolutionize a young person's overall healthcare uh, with their mental health care in focus? I'll answer this question in two parts. One would be biased towards my own research. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't expect less. <laughs> I'll start with the other, which is just more generally. You know, we've talked a lot about technology and tracking and these types of things, but there is a whole other area of using technology in different ways, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality as a way of providing treatments. I think that's going to be really exciting. You know, you think about things like phobias and and these types of things, you know, using augmented reality to be able to provide these types of treatments. I think it's going to be really interesting how that how that type of thing plays out. You know, and the use of until you touched, you mentioned sort of, you know, in lower and middle income countries, that's where technology can be really, really powerful. You know, people might think that, oh, you know, these things might not be available due to cost, but no, it's quite the opposite. You know, people are more likely in these countries to have access to a mobile phone than a healthcare professional. So using that's another really exciting place where like we can use technology to reach people and provide them with such like high quality evidence-based care, you know, at a distance. I think that's going to be really exciting and really sort of increase the access to quality care, you know, internationally. And then I'll so the bit that's biased towards my own research has to do with the use of sort of artificial intelligence and what we we call explainable machine learning. And this is where I'm coming back again to this personalization aspect. And, you know, we can, we can look, I can look at my heart rate and say, oh yeah, I can see that that period was, you know, due to this. And so you can, I can make my own sort of causal assumptions and inference about what was causing that. And I, I did, right, with about the grants, for example. But I'm really excited about whether we can utilize artificial intelligence and explainable machine learning. So, you know, this is using sort of algorithms and models that can help with understanding the relationship between different variables over time. And so that's where we can understand and provide this more personalized insights. And like I mentioned with the just-in-time intervention, you know, being able to 
preempt or or predict when someone is going down a path and suggesting a strategy that we know would work for them in that situation. And knowing it would work for that for them in that situation would come from you know a combination of the evidence base, but then also the specific learning about that person, not only the patterns between their sort of mental health and well-being over time, but also what the person told the system works for them when they're not feeling motivated, right? Because when you're not feeling motivated, you're not going to reach for your phone and and back or do it like, right? But if you know in, in advance what works for that person when they are feeling not, you know, unmotivated to get out of bed or go, you know, go for what, you know, if you detect these things occurring, you know, you could then prompt what we know would work for them or what they've told the system in, in advance works for them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the developments in that area, which is going to be a combination of multiple data sources and, and leveraging that, those types of intelligence tools to, to provide that level of personalization. It is really exciting. And, and I mean, maybe equally there is a slight bias, but I think the research that we're undertaking here at the Brain and Mind Center and, and specifically your team in, in leading that with us is, you know, really quite world leading and, and really on that frontier of technology in healthcare and, and specifically youth mental health care. Like I said, I'm, I'm one of the most blasé people when it comes to where my information is at. Probably too much because I receive too many spam calls and things like that, uh, and particularly around tax time. But I think the amalgamation of all of these points and sources of, of information and data, including both objective and subjective in the way that we're able to log our feelings and our emotions and, and things like that. And also look back at like, you know, add those things like, oh yes, that was during that time of grant writing or I was struggling with my sleep at that time or a breakup or exam period. We are able to better our healthcare. And I think one of the core parts that is sort of underlying all of this is the individual is at the heart and at the, in the driving seat as well. It's your choice to add on, subtract. It's your choice to passively or actively enable the data tracking. But it's also your choice as to who gets it as well. Sometimes like there is a bit of speculation around data ownership in third party and everything. But I think when it comes to healthcare and, and specifically, you know, addressing needs, I think it's I think it's exciting and I'm really passionate about it and, and I know you are too. So it's it's been a wonderful like powwow as well. Yeah, to, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been yeah. great to meet you. Yeah, I mean you're right about the data, you know, there are so many other th- considerations that go along with all this, you know, the privacy aspects are going to be huge. You know, health information is, is, is very sensitive. You know, in the past, it was mainly people worried about their credit card information, right? You could just, you could cancel that and that's sort of no, no harm done. But with people's health information, it's, it's really personal and it's, it's not, if it gets out there, yeah, it can be really damaging. So with all these developments, it's so important that, anyone sort of any companies or you know researchers doing something in this space you know you need to be paying very close attention to to these types of things and ethics committees are good they're they're sort of onto this stuff but but there's a lot of work to be done around sort of especially to do with ai tools in you know thinking about regulation and and you know how we want to go forward in a safe way i think that's 
that's really um, important. And then not to, and also just to mention the other side. So, you know, data and privacy is one aspect about technology we need to be careful for. But there is kind of the other side about, you know, screen time and, and other sort of dangerous behaviours, you know, uh, that go along with using technology. I suppose when people hear technology and mental health, they might not think of all the benefits that we've been talking about. You know, they may think about things to do with screen time. And there's been, there have been so many articles recently about, you know, the relationship between smartphones and social media and suicides and these types of things. And, you know, it is very concerning, but the, the relationship there is much more complex than, than just you know, social media causes suicide. You know, the, that relationship, it, while they might make for a good headline, you know, it, there's much more to unpack there about that relationship, which has to do with, many sort of individual factors that might moderate that relationship or if there is that relationship. So, but it's, a, it's a, another really interesting area of research in this space is, is thinking about, well, you know, how do we make sure that technology is more of a positive influence in someone's life rather than within, than a negative? Well, I think we, as a society, we collectively enjoy drama or drama gets is far more clickable than an empowering story. I mean, I kind of get, I, I follow on social media, the dodo bird or whatever the page is where it shows like these gorgeous moments with animals and things like that, where like, I think one time it was a golden retriever and a koi fish that are supposedly quote unquote best friends. And they, you know, kiss that they kiss each other, like, you know, touch on the, the surface of the water. But we absolutely prefer clickbait, which is those headlines where it's, particularly we see that on like page six where it's like so-and-so is leaving so-and-so and it's actually not the story or so-and-so's spending three months filming a film with someone else and then there's all this speculation that they're they're dating or there's the affairs. And in some cases there might be, but in the majority of cases they're just like social media has been there is really beneficial sides, you know, finding a community that if you're in a rural or remote area, you otherwise wouldn't find if you identify as a LGBTQIA plus community individual. And equally, you know, the, the way in which you're able to learn about things like healthcare, like your rights and responsibilities, or even notions through pages like So Informed, where it's like, what is Roe versus Wade and how does that affect me as an individual? I think is is really necessary, like we've had in this conversation, to talk about the whole picture. Yeah, absolutely. And where the positives and the negatives are, but also how we can mitigate the negatives or turn the negatives or or manipulate the negatives to be a positive around things like screen time and, and around things like social media exactly. So... Yeah, I am very glad we've been able to record a, a conversation on this and I'm sure we'll have you back on again to talk about some new projects that are coming up and are, and will be in development and, and the ongoing world of research within smart tech and health tracking and thrivability for a young person. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. It's great. Yeah, I'm looking for. I should get back on soon and we can chat about any of the developments that happen and geek out again over something something new in the pipeline. There seems to be so many changes in this space happening at the moment. And, and so well, we'll have lots to talk about at a future date. Yes, it's always exciting. Yeah. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Sam.